0: Hello and welcome back to this week's Ravenhill Roundup. This week saw Ulster once again having disturbances for their match against La Rochelle, which was supposed to be at home, but you could say it was moved the in away day. A defeat for Ulster this week we'll be getting into the game talking about our thoughts on it as well as all the controversy and anger around this weekend as a whole. Alongside this we'll be having a chat about our games of the week in the Champions Cup and the scores around the parks from the second game week. So remember we are across SoundCloud spotify and amazon music give us a listen on any of those platforms or stick us on all three and get involved through the instagram at ravenhill underscore roundup we're constantly posting on it and you can send us your thoughts on the match get involved and we'll get back to you and get you on to the show so let's get stuck right into this week's episode So we'll get stuck in straight away into the Ulster game which ended 29 the Ulster, 36 the La Rochelle. A game of two different halves. What are your thoughts on it Lewis?
1: Yeah like you say Jimmy very much two different halves. Um, I thought they were awful in the first half. It's been, really has been just the same old problems from recent weeks. They're Discipline is still a huge issue, giving away far too many penalties. You know, they got on the wrong side of the referee early on, which led to penalty after penalty, After uh, which included the points. They were all kickable, so it just went 3, 6, 9, 12. Before you know it, they're 12-0 down before La Rochelle have actually scored any tries, so they're already under a huge amount of pressure. Um yet another yellow card. I know we've talked uh, extensively about the card issue over the last few weeks and it's just another one to add to the list. We'll probably have a chat about whether we thought it was fair or not a bit later but um, whether it was or not, they got themselves on the wrong side of the referee. They give the referee an opportunity to penalise them and to take them back down to 14 men and as we said last week in these big games you've got to keep all fifteen players on the pitch if you're gonna challenge, if you're gonna um, you know, bring the game to La Rochelle. Obviously as well without the fans behind you it makes it even tougher. But I thought I thought a lot every area of our game was was pretty awful. We were sloppy in possession, um dropping the ball too much, uh, very predictable in attack, La Rochelle hitting us back. Not going wide when we should have when there was space out wide, you know, keeping it tight when La Rochelle had us well marked. Um obviously twenty-nine nil down as well at half time. At that point you know against a team with the quality of La Rochelle that the game's pretty much over. And there was a lot of concern with Ulster fans over social media about Ulster's fight at that point at half time. Um yeah, it was just it just looked like they had no fight in them defence has just been a, a huge issue obviously um, at this later part of the season over the last month or so we, we've talked about how Johnny Bell's under probably a bit of pressure at the moment and things definitely haven't changed just yet I thought our Rockham was pretty poor as well give La Rochelle plenty of opportunities for turnovers and um, you know just not throwing enough men in there protecting the ball enough and it almost made it easy for La Rochelle I know They had a huge amount of turnovers in their game last week. But if you give them the opportunities with the players they have in the back row, the likes of Aldrete... um, ...you're going to end up in trouble and that's exactly what Ulster did in the first half. And all La Rochelle's tries were actually quite scrappy... ...they weren't sort of really well worked tries or awful missed tackles from Ulster. They were all quite scrappy but if, if you give them the chance to get into your 22 and go through a few phases... That, that's when they're going to punish you. Um, Jamie, what about you? What did you think of the first half?
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with mo- basically everything that uh, you were saying there. Ulster just were not on at that first half, and I don't know what has happened to them since uh, the South Africa half-tour, uh, I guess you would call it, um, especially with the discipline. There is absolutely no discipline in that team. From our game against the Lions, which was the fifteenth of October. Ulster have not had a clean game and by that I mean we have had red or have had yellow cards in our last five games with two of them games having two yellow cards in the game i have no idea what's happening they'll stir in that front um they've just became so undisciplined like you were saying and i think that you can't argue on this yellow card for me it is a yellow card uh, the way that the the ball falls and the ref has called it is a breakdown but that was the furthest thing that we've had to worry about in that half it, was the discipline that cost the half, in my opinion, but not necessarily that yellow. It was the fact that we were giving away penalties in a place where La Rochelle could score and get easy points where they weren't having to really work because they do. Oh, Ulster going to make a mistake here, and you know, there's going to be an offside or a knock on or something that's going to give us the opportunity to get three easy points and that's exactly what happened you know if it didn't if them early penalties didn't happen Ulster would have won that game like if you look at the points difference at the end and it's really shocking that you just see this completely different Ulster side in that first half um I wouldn't even say that La Rochelle were playing particularly well, it was just Auster getting out muscled and and outplayed because they weren't playing to their standard. Um, and they go in at, at the end of the half twenty nine nil down, you know, you're you're putting yourself in, in a bad position at the start and it's hard to recover from being that far down.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you around the yellow card. I think I don't think it was a direct impact to how that first half went. Um, I, I think it was a 50-50 call, the yellow card, but I think when you've already got yourself in such a bad way with the referee, the referee, Luke Pierce he already knows that Ulster now have a discipline issue because they're already, what, 12 points down at that stage, I think, when they got the yellow card, so... The referee knows they've got a discipline issue, and that that when that's the case, them types of fifty-fifty calls are probably not going to go your way. And you know, the ball, the ball was on the ground. It could have, you could have said it squirmed out of the rock, but you know, Luke Pierce obviously, uh, thought that it was still in the rock. He didn't call it as being out of the rock. So, Henderson's obviously jumped in thinking it was out, and it's it's clearly cost him massively. Apart from that, I think in the second half, Henderson actually had a really good game. I think he led the he led the comeback for the team. But yeah, like like you say, Jimmy, it was it was the penalties and the discipline that really cost them.
0: As much as we're saying bad about that first half, you know the second half they did rally, uh, and Ulster did play well in that second half at least. For me, it sort of started a bit slow. The work sort of gaining that momentum, but the last sort of twenty-five minutes, sort of there was just a ten-minute period where they were working in the half and getting that momentum started for them. Um, but that second-half performance is what I think would have happened if for the whole game, if Ulster were playing at the Keenspan. And I think that, you know, having that move down so or, or so late notice um, and behind closed doors, I think it sort of shook them a bit because you're preparing in a different sense. And I think that's what you can put that first half down to. In the second half, once they got that out of their head, they picked, up, uh, they, they picked themselves up and started to play like an Ulster that, you're, you're happy They go and watch and, and you can see them actually working the ball and getting a bit more more physical because they were out strength, the whole match I would say, they were out strength. I think La Rochelle sort of had them on malls and, and the physical battle but Ulster were putting up more of a fight in that second half in the malls, getting a try uh, from one of them sort of towards the end. Uh, because they were able to use that momentum rather than just pure physical strength like they were trying to do in the first half and work their way out of them all and uh, burst through. So they were adapting to the game in the second half and I think that's really what made them play well. Uh, I will point out that Jon Stewart is probably my man match, I would say just because of how he was that standout player for me. I think whenever he's coming into the team, uh, and that was his fourth try of the season, I believe it was. I think that he's doing a really good job and uh going into a tough game like that so early. Whenever you're already down, I think he really he was part of that that force that changed Ulster's momentum a wee bit. I think that having a fresh perspective is probably the way that I would put it. Um, He he really worked well and he, I think that he was who I was sort of looking at in that physical battle. Sort of not necessarily just going full force and he was moving about and it's really nice to see him play well in that kind of game. Because um, we haven't really seen too much of them this season so far.
1: Yeah I have to agree Jamie. Um, th- like you say they were much much better in the second half I think from minute one you could see they were more lively. Not particularly riding right it from minute one of the first half but they certainly looked more lively. They gained a lot more momentum and they built themselves into the game and they actually just looked like they had belief. They looked like they believed that they could go on to win the game or at least get a couple of losing bonus points out of it like they did so you know whether that was the hairdryer treatment from Dan McFarland in the changing rooms, or you know whether the leaders have stood up in the changing room and you know rallied the players together. Whatever it was, it worked, and that is what they need to be doing from minute one in every game, especially these big European games. Because with them to losing bonus points, they're not quite out yet. Still, still a, still a. I wouldn't say a half decent chance, but a chance of going through to the last sixteen. Um, just have to wait and see I suppose but them two losing bonus points definitely crucial, I thought the bench made a a good a really big impact, Treadwell was good when he came on, uh, dope coming in at out half for Billy Burns when he got that injury, I thought he was particularly impressive at out half and we have slated him a couple of times in the last few weeks off his poor performances at scrum half but he, you know, some of his kicks to touch were absolutely fantastic I thought and you know that really that really got the forwards up for the mall or whatever was coming up in the la rochelle 22. i thought the leaders stood up like i say i thought henderson really led the comeback john cooney was super Um, alan o'connor you could see doing a lot of the unseen work and like you say tom stewart as well he um he was absolutely fantastic when he came back on for Rob pairing obviously played um Hurley in the first half like all of the forwards did as well as all of the backs but when he came back on after Rob Herring's injury he looked really impressive Um, taking the physical battle to La Rochelle scoring that crucial try at the end the for the four try bonus point so yeah like you say it was it was really good to see him um, getting a bit more game time and showing he can do it against the big opposition but you have to, you have to definitely say that there's still a, a massive issue here that Ulster don't seem to be able to string up a 90 or an 80 minute performance and you know that's obviously going to cost you in the bigger games you, you can probably get away with it in a lot of the games against the slightly weaker teams in the URC but in Europe and against the bigger teams in the URC, you're going to be in serious trouble if you can't put together an eighty-minute performance. Um, would you agree, Jimmy? That without without that eighty-minute performance, they're going to struggle to be any big teams this season.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll agree with you on that because any time we've played a big team, we haven't played a full eighty in the sense that we haven't give a full whole wholehearted performance in my opinion I think that you always see sort of 10 20 minute bursts or like this week a a second half where you're playing the the standard and whenever you are coming against them big teams if you're not playing that standard you're the whole time they're going to and that's where we've seen it affect Ulster in in their matches uh, especially against Leinster the the last two games uh that we played them because there were glimpses in that and then whenever they didn't they capitalised. It's the same with La Rochelle this week. Um La Rochelle just capitalised on that first half and and took control and uh, then that bleeds in the weaker oppositions, you know, we're conceding against them because we're not focusing.
1: Yeah, definitely agree and I have to say as well, I, I know the defence is a massive issue but I have to, like I was saying about looking quite predictable in attack um, I think we're missing a lot of the we're missing a lot of our flare players at the minute in terms of either form or through injury. Obviously Rob Ballakin being out at the minute's a big blow Will Addison is a massive flare player for Ulster and that he can create something out of nothing, he can do a little bit of magic and ...score a try or create a try from absolutely nothing. I think we're really missing those guys in our back line. Players aren't aren't in form. The likes of James Hume, not quite in form yet after his injury. Uh, Michael Laurie hasn't quite hit the strides of last season or the season before. I I think uh, Luke Marshall and Stuart McCluskey a very solid centre partnership at the moment. And I definitely think Luke Marshall has sort of staked his claim for that starting 13 jersey at the minute. He's just in far better form than James Hume. But, um, yeah, I I think that's a massive issue. Um, And in terms of defence, I'd say Johnny Bell, the current defence coach, we've we've talked about it, how he's probably under a little bit of pressure. um, Conceding so many points in the last few weeks has has really put the, the eyes on
0: him. Do you think he's under a bit of pressure, Jamie? He's under immense pressure. Uh, I'm not a big fan of what he's been doing at Ulster so far. Uh, Whenever you look at the results, there is a constant uh, trend of Ulster conceding or something silly happening in the game that wouldn't normally happen. I mean, the biggest point out for me is the defensive line I was saying before we started I've been picking up the last couple of games they're leaving gaps and I said last week we were conceding because we were leaving gaps in the line and they're able to run through to me it seems like they're being told you as in this player you are on this spot so say it's a I don't know, he's saying, look, you're third pillar in a rock, you you stay to that, but then if he's in the rock, no one's coming to cover that space, it's as if they're just told, you're this side, you're this side, this point, there's no uh, fluidity to it, and it's really costing. And that's where the main points are coming. It's not coming from big long runs. It's coming from beating the line.
1: I have to apologise to Johnny Petrie. I of course meant Johnny Bell as the defence coach. I'm not used to saying Johnny Petrie this week. Uh, <laughs> stuck
0: in my head. But yeah, no, totally agree with all of that. Just to touch on you saying about the the missing flyer players. Uh, it didn't actually occur to me until you said about it. But uh, Bermulans try... He was a winger, basically. So I think that that's where you see the Fireflyers flyer missing. He was on the wing and got a, a chip kick over to him. Uh, so it's definitely a good point that you're bringing up.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, even even with those guys, I still don't think our attack has has just quite got up and going as much as um as much as it has in the last few seasons. I know we talked about in earlier podcasts about how they were going to the mall so much how. They weren't really going wide. They weren't um, utilizing the space, and you know that. I, I thought it would be an issue against the bigger teams. It didn't look like it against Leinster in that first half of the game down at the RDS. But it clearly has been recently because it just seems like again they don't really have a backup plan to them all. If they're gonna get out muscled by a bigger team or by a really solid defensive team, it's gonna cause them issues because you know and. Dan Super has to take a bit of a bit of stick for that as well because he's been getting a lot of praise from Ulster fans the last few seasons, but Ulster's attack hasn't been firing, and um, that's something they really need to get going in this next block of games because this next block of games is crucial for the coaches. I think if they lose this Connacht game on Friday night, a lot of questions are going to start being asked of Dan McFarland and all of his coaching staff.
0: So we've went. End of the game. Um, now we'll talk a wee bit about the controversial move uh, of the Ulster game on the weekend. So it was it was decided on Friday evening that Ravenhill was unplayable for health and safety reasons, and uh, they were trying to find another place to play it that happened to be the Aviva but they didn't announce this until uh, Saturday which caused a lot of anger in both fans and uh, representatives of Ulster Rugby so Lewis what are your thoughts on the move and and the anger that a lot of fans have been showing Yeah well I completely
1: understand the anger through the fans. Um, There was a lot of backlash on social media at the start towards Ulster Rugby and then secondly towards EPCR, the tournament organisers. Um, I think if we just look at the facts, so on Friday when Luke Pearce came to check out the pitch it was announced that 60% of the Kingspan was unplayable and at that, ta- at that time, the pitch couldn't be announced as safe for the game. There have been um, reports that Luke Pearce wanted another pitch inspection on Saturday at the Kingspan, but the EPCR said no to that. They wanted to move the game straight away. Um, and that's despite you know both Dan and Johnny Petrie coming out on Saturday and saying that they knew the pitch would be ready. They told the EPCR that... The groundsmen predicted it would be ready, and um, the weather was due to change, and you know, being the high positives, so, you know, when you look at all that, you think why couldn't a pitch inspection have been done on Saturday, um, to then decide the new the new venue wasn't decided until Saturday anyway because, late on Friday night, the RDS decided that they couldn't host the game, uh, despite it being Ulster's backup stadium, so. It therefore had to be played at the Aviva, but this this wasn't announced by Ulster until I think it was around eleven a.m. on Saturday morning. At around half nine, I think it was Johnny Petrie had posted on Twitter to say that he was standing on a very playable Kingspan pitch, as predicted. So, you know that begs the question: if if the new venue hadn't been decided until you know nearly the afternoon on Saturday. Why wasn't there time to do another pitch inspection on Saturday morning? I mean, I know with the football, the Irish League games this week, that a pitch inspection wasn't done until Saturday anyway, before it was decided whether the pitches were playable or not. I just don't understand how, you know, they can decide on Friday, knowing all of these factors, that no matter what, the pitch won't be playable in time, when clearly it was. Um, based on everything that's been said I think one of the other options Ulster were looking at was a Sunday game which wasn't available because uh, the top 14 rugby in France do not allow a five-day turnaround between games and of course La Rochelle were playing this Friday night so La Rochelle weren't happy with it top 14 wouldn't have been happy with it Ulster would have been, they also have a five day turnaround but they still wanted the game on Sunday. It was made clear to Ulster that that wasn't an option, they weren't going to be able to do that. So, their next, their next sort of thing was to just sort of make sure that the pitch was going to be ready and you know we're told that it was but unfortunately this premature decision from EPCR has cost, well as we'll talk about later it's cost Ulster around 700,000 by the sounds of it. So you know there's big controversy in this I know there is now an investigation with the EPCR on Ulster Rugby however the wording of that isn't particularly promising EPCR coming out and saying that Ulster Rugby will be expected to cooperate fully when really for me you know this is all on the EPCR for this premature decision especially when the referee wanted a Saturday pitch inspection to decide whether the game would be ready
0: I agree with you, you know, it, it's not something that uh, the Ulster management side of it took lightly, and, and they tried to do everything to have the fans there, and I I understand that people, you know, straight away, they're like, oh, Ulster, but once sort of the facts of it came out, um, people took Ulster's side, which I thought was commendable, because, it, it wasn't their fault, they did try everything they realistically could in that short period of time. Um, like you're saying, the, the £700,000 figure that they're set to lose from it, um, to me I would say it's probably more when you count the, the fan zone and you have all them vendors, you know, they're losing out on a lot of money. They're losing that week and whenever it's a game like this it, it was going to be most likely a sold out Keenspan. So they're losing all of that. You know a, a sold out Keenspan. It's, it's not a small stadium by any stretch of the mile. And so they're losing that. Uh, sponsors as well. You know they're losing their time and they're going to be annoyed. But my main gripe is... The La Rochelle, I'll, I'm putting this in air quotes in person, delegates, there's no chance that they're delegates, um, it was fans, and I don't understand how they can be let in, even if you say they are delegates, the whole reason Ulster fans weren't allowed to the Avivas is because there wasn't a safety inspection done, uh, as I was reading, so... You're not allowed to have Ulster fans because they don't know if the seating area is frozen or whatever. I don't know the reason for it, but La Rochelle can have people sitting in the stands and and everything. I think it's a very strange thing to do. You know, you either say it's closed doors or it's not, and that's where I personally find the the annoyance with it more than anything uh, Dan McFarlane he was saying the uh, the media after the game that he could see uh, what looked like the be under 10s so it was kids that were with La Rochelle fans so he doesn't understand how it's delegates as they put it um, and uh, I believe that if Ulster didn't let them La Rochelle fans in there's going to be legal action taken against them as well so I I don't understand how you can let them in whenever you don't know if it's safe or not and then if you don't let them in you're threatening legal action.
1: Yeah 100% agree Jimmy like to threaten Ulster with legal action if they don't agree to let these La Rochelle delegates in which were obviously fans there's no doubt about it it was fans you know, it's pretty much blackmail against Ulster. It just it just doesn't make sense at all. Um and you know, there was there was over hundred and fifty of those Larochel fans allowed into the stadium and it clearly made a difference. They were very loud, you could hear them on the T V. Um, you know, everyone saying that they were very loud in the stadium as well. But you know, for me, clo- like you say, Jimmy, closed doors means closed doors. It doesn't mean closed doors but will allow a certain amount of, whether it be fans or delegates in, it doesn't really matter because in a closed door fixture fixture, even sponsors aren't allowed into the stadium and I think the reason they give for the Ulster fans not being allowed in was that they didn't have the staffing to um, look after them and to make sure that um, they were all accounted for and that the tickets wouldn't work at the Aviva Stadium. But like like I was just saying, closed doors means closed doors. It doesn't mean you let some of the away fans in because they've travelled a certain distance. And I would have felt sorry for them to be fair because they have travelled a long way, spent a lot of money to see their team over in Ireland. But it's it's no it's no excuse for this unfair advantage. And it was an unfair advantage because this is whatever you call it, this is a home game for Ulster, and, you know, like you say, I I probably think in front of 18,000 people at the Kingspan, the result probably would have been very different. But you can't go allowing away fans into the stadium in a home game for Ulster and refuse to let any home fans in at all. I mean, the Aviv is, what, about a 60,000-seater stadium? So, you know, (laughs) there's clearly enough to get all of the Ulster fans in if they wanted to um, they could have even gone so far and let the season ticket holders in just to get them a little bit of support but there was absolutely nothing and whether that's down to timing issues and Ulster not getting the venue decided quick enough or sorry the EPCR not getting the venue decided quick enough um, it doesn't really matter get, you are giving the away team an unfair advantage by letting their fans in
0: for me it's a, it's an easy fix Whenever it comes to the Ulster fans, you know, you announce half eleven. Yeah, announced at half eleven that it's gonna be at the Aviva. So you have six hours or so, um, before the match to do an inspection on even just a uh, a stand of the Aviva, and then you let the Ulster fans know if you can make it down go ahead like come there's a stand we've done a check on it you know we can we can uh... let you see it because realistically how many Oster fans are going to be able to travel down the Dublin on six hours notice whenever it's a two hour journey as well so I, I don't understand why they didn't do something like that and it it definitely gave them an advantage like you were saying you could hear the La Rochelle fans throughout that match and playing in a 60,000 capacity uh, stadium with 150 fans that are all against you it it affects you as a player and uh, as a player as well you're gonna be ...like I, I said in a sort of review... ...you prepare differently... ...for home matches than you do away matches... ...so them Ulster players... ...they prepare to go... ...the home match... ...and play in front of fans... ...and that'll give them an extra boost... ...so you then... ...take that away... ...you're making it an away match where... ...in your preparation you're prepared for hostility... ...you're prepared to not have... ...that backing in you and that's really demoralising for Ulster players and I think it's a it's a valid reason for per first half and they had to sit for a bit and actually shake it off and go, Here we're not at home you know, this is a hundred percent La Rochelle uh, crowd that we're playing to here. So it's it just baffles me really. I actually forgot about another
1: controversial topic that we need to have a talk about, Jimmy, and I want to get your opinion on this. Um, La Rochelle coach Ronan O'Gara, currently serving a stadium ban um, due to uh, issues from previous games, was allowed into the stadium and was certainly given his influence to the team and to the bench from the stands. Um, Were you shocked to see that he was somehow allowed into the stadium, Um, whether it be in the stands or not, clearly given an influence towards the team?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that you don't understand how they're allowed in. You know, you're given the stadium ban, surely that means you're not allowed in. I know that uh, in times before there has still been that communication, you know, they might be watching it uh, from somewhere outside and and communicating with someone inside they give uh their thoughts on what they are doing, things like that but the the basically null and void a ban it it doesn't make sense and shows a lack of fairness you know if personally for me I, if dan mcfarlane got a ban i would expect him to serve it no matter what i would say yeah don't come in I think it's it's a slap in the face the the other teams because you know that if another coach gets a ban they're going to have to serve it and you can easily just turn it around and say well they broke the rules against Ulster you know so why can't we I think I think it sets a precedent potentially that you can weasel your way in whenever you're not supposed to be there yeah exactly and
1: yeah for me it's just all of these factors built up between the late moving of the game which seems unfair based on what's been said so far the 150 la rochelle fans or plus being allowed into the aviva stadium despite no ulster fans being allowed in and ronan o'gara whether whether he's in the stadium or not, the fact he is influenced the team influencing the team, the other coaches and the bench from the stadium, I think I think it just gives a lot for Ulster fans to be unhappy with and they have a they have a really big right to be unhappy with all of these factors. And for me, Ulster probably need to be looking at legal action for, for this type of thing against EPCR because you know, it's it's clearly made the game unfair as a home game for Ulster and I just I just don't understand how there's been so much controversy over it because you know you look at the Glasgow game which was moved late from Scottsdale Stadium to BT Murrayfield, they were allowed their fans in, there wasn't an issue there so and I know it was days in advance but surely like I say, closed doors means closed doors, there's no exception there and um, I think everyone in world rugby knows that these La Rochelle delegates were actually
0: fans. Besides from the effects it's had on that La Rochelle game, it's going to then have a knock on effect for uh, the next home game uh, on the 1st of January. You're going to have people who probably more in the fan zone. You're going to have vendors who mightn't be at full capacity. That that probably be the best word for it. They're not going to be enough full flu, because they've lost a week and you're going to lose a bit of that environment and uh, camaraderie that you get in in the fan zone. I think that it's it's going to have that knock on effect, uh, as well as everything that it affected in the match and beyond. You know, you're saying that Ulster have lost seven hundred a thousand pound from it, and that's gonna affect the stadium in in the coming home games for me. Yeah, and I have to say, desa- I have to say, despite all this,
1: I don't think it's an excuse for that first half performance either way. You know, you've got to show a little bit more fight than they did. You got to keep yourself in the game, and that's that's what they didn't do. And as Stephen Ferris said, they folded like a deck chair against. ...against Leinster in that second half. Um, They didn't even get to open the deck chair... ...against Sale Sharks. And um, the deck chair was still folded... ...in some (laughs) terms. Um, (laughs) The deck chair was still folded... ...in some terms against La Rochelle. So... um, Yeah, I I don't think it's an excuse... ...for that first half performance. But it, it, it was definitely a factor... ...in the Ulster atmosphere. The confidence going into the game... ...without their fans. And essentially how the result went. So, moving on from the game and the controversy surrounding it, I'm sure there will be a lot of news around that coming out in the coming weeks or months. Fingers crossed fans do get an answer to all the questions they're looking at. But moving on anyway, Ulster have released a squad update ahead of their game this Friday night, away to Connaught at the Sports Ground. This announced that Billy Burns and Rob Herring, who got a concussion and a rib injury, su- suspectively, <laughs> or however you say it, um, will both be unavailable against Connacht this week. Angus Curtis also suffered a knee injury playing for the Ulster A team, so he is also unavailable. And this adds to the injury list of Will Addison, Rob Balakun, James Hume, Ian Madigan, Tom O'Toole, Jude with Jacob Stockdale and Aaron Sexton who will
0: all miss the game against Connacht. So looking elsewhere in the Champions Cup you had the Sharks playing Bordeaux. Sharks winning that match nineteen sixteen in a tough contest. You had a very dominant uh, performance once again from Leinster. They won fifty seven to zero against Gloucestershire. <coughs> um Exeter Bills. <coughs> you then had Exeter beating the Bills forty four, the fourteen, coming back to the Scots, you had Edinburgh, uh, winning thirty one the Castres is twenty points We also seen Leon take on Saracens Saracens winning that match twenty-eight to twenty Leicester were playing Claremont and they beat them 16. The Stormers having a good display against London Irish beating them 34 to 14 we've seen the Welsh side Ospreys beating Montpellier 21 to 10 Ulster's opponents from last week got beat by Toulouse uh, that was Seal, Uh Toulouse winning that match 45 to 19 we've seen another Irish team Monster with a win uh, they were playing Northampton and they won that match 17 to 6 and a surprise for I would imagine everyone the Harlequins beat Racing 92 14 to 10 in a very close match and the finish off we'll have a wee look ahead to Ulster's next game which is away the Comet um, this week back into the league what are your thoughts on connor as a side seeing a bit of a resurgence uh before we went into the european matches what do you think is going to happen
1: yeah i have to say i think it's going to be a really really close game ulster haven't particularly performed very well down at the sports ground in recent years however i do think they'll go down there and get a win um I, th- I just feel like they need to. Uh, the coach is under that much pressure. The players want to go out and perform and show what they can do for a full 80 minutes. So I do think we'll see them turn their fortunes around this Friday night. Connor obviously in good form. They've won four of their last five games, I believe it is. So um, they rest rested a lot of their big players in those Challenge Cup games against Brave and Newcastle Falcons as well. So their players will be firing. They'll be ready to go. You know, it's a big uh, Christmas week derby down at the sports ground. They'll be excited to get a full stadium, hopefully, down there. And, um, you know, they'll be hoping for a great atmosphere. But I think on paper, you would just expect Ulster to win. Despite all of these injuries they've got, they have got the stronger squad. Um, no matter what, connaught have a few injuries in the back row. Uh, Gavin Thorn- Thornbury, I think, is out, which is a big blow for them. So, Ulster will be looking to take advantage of that and use their key players and their experienced players as well in that one. Um, One question I'd have for you, Jamie, is obviously a bit of a decision to be made made by Dan McFarlane this week at out half with Billy Burns being ruled out of the game. Nathan Doak played really well at out half this week against La Rochelle in that second half when he came on. you know Jake Flannery out and out, out half um, signed this season and Michael Laurie as well at fullback, who we've seen switched out half a few times for Ulster who do you think Dan McFarlane's going to go with in this game?
0: Personally I would go for Flannery in my opinion. I think Laurie shines best in fullback, and I would keep him there because Cona are quite a fast team so you might need him on them breaks for the tackles that he can make and I, I could see him putting Doke into that uh, position but for me he's been quite inconsistent and I think it's a position that you need that consistency in the game and I think having Fanner is that uh, out and role you know he knows how to play it I think it's a time Whenever I'll start him playing well as well, I think it's a time to maybe take that bit of a risk and uh, start him and see how he can do. You always have the option the the switch of a bite, um. But I think it would it would be a good idea the the triathlon, right?
1: Yeah, I probably agree. To be fair, I think uh, like we say, Laurie hasn't done what he has done in the last few seasons at fullback. Anyway, I think he really needs to try and assure his game there at the moment before he can be thrown into the out-half role where he needs to control the game. Doak did play very well in that second half. Um, however, whether he can do it for the full 80 minutes um, in such a crucial game maybe a bit too much of a risk for Dan McFarland. But Jake Flannery has been brought in for this type of reason. Uh, Billy Burns injured. Ian Madigan still on the injury list. So I think it is time to give him the chance. Um, Probably didn't impose himself a huge amount in the in his first Ulster appearance. I think it was against Zebra a few weeks ago. Um but I think it's definitely an opportunity for him to shine and show the coaches what he can do. Um so Jimmy, just to finish off, any score predictions, I'm gonna go with a close game, but I think Ulster will sneak it. I'm gonna go with nineteen twelve um to Ulster. What would you say Jimmy?
0: I'm going to go a wee bit out there. Um, I think it's potentially going to be a draw. Which you don't really see Ulster having. Uh, I think it is going to be close. And I think it's going to be low scoring. I'm going to go for... I was going to say 15 all. But I'm also thinking 20. So I think I'll meet in the middle. Uh, I think it'll probably be... 18 all, I'll probably go for. Uh, Just the way that Connor have been playing and Ulster have been playing, I think that they're similar level at the minute. And I can see that sort of clash where you're on current form. You see each side sort of shaping up in a way that could potentially cause a draw in my opinion.
1: Perfect, so join us next week to see my predictions go perfectly and uh, Jimmy be once again wronged by me, because I always get it right of course, not, uh, <laughs> but that will do us for this week, so thank you very much for listening to Ravenhill Roundup. As Jimmy said at the start, we are across SoundCloud, Spotify and Amazon Music, as well as on Instagram where we post Latest team news, results and try to get the fans involved as much as possible. But thank you for listening and we will see you next week on the podcast.